Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 145 of the Burden and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. The Burden and Command podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I can do for you, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Just a quick reminder before we get into today's guest that beginning with episode 151, the Burden of Command podcast will be known as the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Uh, It's coming up here soon, so just want to give you a heads up that when you hear that change, you're still at the right place. Now on to today's guest. Today's guest is Jackie Ferguson. Jackie was raised in a multi-generational and multi-racial, multi-regional home where diversity and inclusion were intrinsic personal values. She has been volunteering for and donating to equality organizations for more than 20 years. Jackie spent the majority of her career in various aspects of business for organizations ranging from small startups to large Fortune 500 companies. Before earning her designation as a certified diversity executive and becoming co-founder of the diversity movement. As head of content and programming, Jackie ensures premium educational content across all platforms. She is a certified diversity executive, member of the Forbes Business Council and the National Diversity Council, and is published in Forbes and Almanac, among other publications. Jackie is a keynote speaker on diversity and belonging topics for organizations across the country. She also hosts the Diversity Beyond Checkbox podcast. Now, I highly recommend that podcast because it is very, very good, and it shows because it has been rated as one of the top 15 diversity podcasts to follow and in the top 10% downloaded podcast globally. Now, Some of you may hear the terms diversity and inclusion and automatically get turned off to the conversation that Jackie and I are about to have, but I urge you to please stick around and listen. Uh, We talk about diversity in a lot of dimensions. I promise you it's most likely not what you have heard in diversity and inclusion training up to this point. So with that, I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Jackie Ferguson. Well, all right, listeners, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. And Jackie, welcome to the Burden of Command podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really glad to have you here, and I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're about to have. Uh, But I've got to start you off where I start all of my guests. When you hear that phrase, burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, first of all, I love that phrase. It's it's something that I think about in my work every day. Um, you know, as a certified diversity executive and, and someone who does work in diversity and inclusion, I think about burden of command as it pertains to understanding how to link with other people, how to understand the experiences and identities of other people and provide situations in our workplace, in our communities where people feel welcome, where they feel valued, where they feel empowered. Um, And one of the ways that I think about that, uh, Earl, is through understanding the concept 
concept of privilege, right? So what are the privileges that I have that can help me to lean in for others and advocate for others and be an ally for others um, wherever I am in my journey? And so for me as an executive, you know, as someone who participates in running an organization, how do I lean in on that for my team so that they feel empowered based on what their capabilities are, right? Not based on who they are as individuals and what their identity is. How can I advocate for my own team? How can I advocate in the work that I do for, you know, other companies and and, and speaking with their executives so that, you know, my burden of command is to understand how to interact with other people uh, in the workplace and again in communities so that they feel valued, appreciated, respected, and all of those things that we as humans want to feel. Mm, no, I love that. I mean, because that is, that is so key, right? I mean, you know, we talk about here at the Leadership Phalanx, we talk about the this thing we call the inextricable link uh, between leadership, diversity, and inclusion. I think you tied all of that together so well right there because you know, as we're leading our teams, as we're putting teams together, uh, DNI is is something that is extremely critical and important to the the success of any project, right? Earl, that's that's so true, and I I love how you said putting teams together, because often what happens is we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion later down the road. But it's so important that if you can start to think about that in the foundation of a company, right, as we're building those teams, we're building the right teams, we're building teams that offer not only diversity of of culture, but diversity of thought and diversity in the way that we think about things, the way we interact, the way that we are representative of our society so that we can message folks better, so that we can lead folks better. Uh, that's so important. And I again, I love that because if you can start that from the base of your company, right? A lot of times people think, um, you know, when, they, when they're when they a company of, of five, they don't have to think about diversity yet. But that's the time to make sure that it's, you know, baked into the foundation of what you're what you're doing as an organization. So I, I love that. Yeah, no, well, thank you. And, and I love exactly what you just said there. So we're going to have a lot of love in this podcast, it seems. <laughs> well, but but you, you said something that is extremely important there, right? I think for, for most folks, because I get a lot of uh, entrepreneurs uh, who listen to the show, especially a lot of veteran entrepreneurs, right? And, and it's much easier to think about diversity inclusion at the very beginning and make that the foundation of your organization than it is to get down the road and have two, three, four hundred employees, and then all of a sudden, boom! Now we're going to start thinking about diversity and inclusion. But and and I'm, I'm interested to hear your experiences with this. I, I've noticed in my work that it seems like the the entrepreneurs who think about it when they have two, three, four, five people, especially that cognitive diversity piece that you talked about they have a much better track record over, you know, the first two, three, four years and, and longevity wise, right? Absolutely. You know, Earl, to be intentional about your culture is so important because you're going to create a culture whether you like it or not, whether you think you are or not. It's just a matter of are you leading that culture are you creating the culture that you want for your organization? Or are you just letting it organically evolve, which may not be the culture that you want? And now you've got to turn a ship, right? Which is so much harder than being intentional about how you lay the foundation for your culture. Um, so yeah, that that is so important. And as we think about how to build our culture, you know, what are the steps that are necessary to make sure that, you know, our processes uh, and, and our policies are free of bias, that everyone is treated the same. And, you know, when we think 
about that, it's not just based on, you know, race or gender, but, you know, are you offering the right parental leave, right? Not just maternity leave, but parental leave, because, for example, people that adopt or, you know, or sometimes um, the other parent, right, wants to take time uh, to bond with that child. And so what, what kind of policies, what kind of procedures do you have in your organization that's equitable so that, you know, you, you can attract more folks that want to work with you? Because I'm going to tell you, Earl, people who are looking for jobs are looking for organizations that really want to lean in on this DEI conversation and lean in on the commitment to making sure that, um, you know, people feel included, people have what they need and what they need, you know, may be different. But, you know, as we think too about um, innovation and and that diversity of thought um, that you just mentioned, right? What does that mean? What does that mean in our, our meetings and how we conduct our meetings that makes us more innovative, that makes us more creative, that makes us better problem solvers as an organization. Because you have these different perspectives, different ways to think about things, different life experiences, where if you have all of those things at the table, you get better results faster. And that is when you can really leverage uh, diversity um, by having those inclusive cultures where people are willing and able and comfortable and empowered to speak up and and share their thoughts and share their perspectives. Yeah, no, I I think that is very critical. You know what you said there about the the piece of being able to not just be at the table but have a voice at the table because you know that is one of the things that uh, I see a lot of programs kind of I'll say miss out on right is is they'll sit there and they'll say you know hey I, I've increased my diversity by X percent right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, but how are you utilizing that diversity? How are you letting it influence your company? And I think that's kind of what you're just getting out there, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's such an important part of the conversation because, you know, many companies are leaning in on the diversity, um, you know, those diversity goals. So, right, you're having X amount more people in the company that are culturally diverse or X number of executives that are culturally diverse. But have you laid the groundwork to make sure that they feel included, to make sure that there's education in place so that when you're bringing in those culturally diverse professionals, they feel safe, they feel included, they feel valued. Um, and and that is that's so important. Um, you know, and advocacy, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, having a voice at the table, that is, that is so true. What happens sometimes though, is that when you get to that table, you're not given the space to contribute. And so we need more advocates and allies in the room to right then say, you know, Hey, new person, right? what what do you have to add? Do you have any thoughts about this, right? And inviting them into the conversation. We all, you know, need to feel that that sense of, you know, invitation, that sense of being welcome and, and wanting to be heard from. And we as, as allies and advocates have to do that um, real time, so. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And, and you know, that's... <laughs> That's the thing that that is going to make or break, I think, a lot of organizations as we're continuing to go through this pandemic and coming out uh, on the other side is, you know, we're going through this thing now that's called the people are starting to call the the great resignation. Yes. And and I don't know if there's been any like preliminary date on this yet. Maybe you've seen some. I haven't been able to necessarily find any, but it seems to me from just kind of anecdotally speaking here. Uh, that the organizations who are taking these things that we're talking about serious are the ones that are able to get people to come back to work. And the ones that aren't are the ones that are having trouble getting people to, to apply for these jobs that they have open. Earl, that's, that's so true. You know, the, the past, you know, year and a half or so, a lot has happened, 
right? You know, it's it's been tough, right? When you think about the effects of this pandemic and just changing how we work and, you know, all of the things that occurred during last summer with regard to, you know, the, the racial injustices that we were seeing because we were still, right? That we were really paying attention to because we were still, you know, it's been heavy, right? It's been heavy on, you know, our emotional health. It's been heavy on, you know, how how we are as parents and, and you know, educating our kids from, you know, while we're, we're on a conference call, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, people are really rethinking what's important. And they've had time to think about that. And one of the things that, that I've found um, with regard to work is, People want to work in places where they feel that they can they can really contribute something, that they have value to add. And the way to make people feel that they're contributing and that they're valued is through, you know, these tenets of diversity, equity, and inclusion, inclusion specifically where you're taking time with someone to to listen, to make sure that you're advocating, to make sure that they do have a voice where they can express what they feel, what they may need, right? And and they want to work in places that that advocate for them. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think of is with the disability community specifically, you know, that's the diversity group that any of us can become a part of at any time. And so if you're thinking about how your organization approaches diversity and and inclusion if you think about disability inclusion right if if you know i want to work for a company that i know that no matter what my life journey entails they're going to be supportive they're going to ask me jackie what do you need how can we help you be more productive at work right and and organizations that are really leaning into that really leaning into the opportunity to be vulnerable, to be better, to look at the way they do business. Those are the ones that are winning in the workplace right now. Yeah, no, that is, uh, th- that last bit there is, is a great piece, right? Because that's one that means a lot to me as, as a veteran uh, of the United States Marine Corps, having a lot of friends who have served overseas. I was a peacetime Marine. Um, but have a lot of friends have served overseas that have had various injuries and, and seeing them come back and, and kind of struggle with the typical transition elements of coming from military service to the civilian sector, but then also have to struggle with some of those things that you just mentioned, you know, about uh, the, 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 the disabilities. And again, not all of those disabilities are visible you know, we talk about the the mental health piece, and I think that's a big component too right now when we talk about diversity and inclusion is how are we taking care of people that, that need uh, what are called reasonable accommodations to include mental health, right? Absolutely. You know, that's so important. And a lot of people, you know, this topic all used to be, you know, a taboo topic. Nobody really talked about, um, you know, needing a therapist right now people are leaning into this conversation and and prioritizing their mental health the same way they prioritize their physical health and and so many people are now speaking up and and making this you know something that you can talk about that you can be comfortable with the conversations and the and the requests around it because it's it's so important you know it's it's a major part of you know, how we live our lives, the happiness that we can create, and, and it, it affects our physical health as well. So yeah, that's, that's such an important part of the conversation. And Earl, just to say, you know, thank you for your service. I, I want to talk about veterans as well, because that's one of the things that, you know, as we learn how to reimagine how we work and how we hire, you know, thinking about veterans, one of the things that I teach is, you know, how do the skills that that veterans have translate to the workplace, right? So they don't, 
necessarily have 10 years of experience in a corporate setting, but what are the leadership skills? What are the, the, the skills that they've developed to be responsible, to be dedicated, to see a, 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 you know, a mission or a project through? Like, make sure that you're counting those skills, right? And, and those things that, that have been learned and developed and, and become a part of a person's you know, professional structure, those things translate. And, and you've got you've to gotta reimagine the way you're thinking about how you're interviewing and, and hiring for your positions because you're missing out on some, some amazing uh, perspectives if you're not thinking about veterans in how you're, you're thinking about your workforce. Yeah, no, 100%. And it was my pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed every bit of my service. Uh, so thank you for that. But uh, yeah, you know, and I think the other thing, and, and I agree with everything you just said, right? Because again, I, I could speak for the Marines and, and a little bit about the Army, having a lot of Army friends. But, you know, the, those leadership things are things that are hammered in our head, day one, boot camp, all through our career. You know, but the other thing is, and I think a lot of people miss out on because the military gets a, a bad rep, deservedly so, for some of the scandals that have happened uh, involving uh, women not being treated correctly uh, and, and even some minority uh, instances that have popped over the last few years. Mm-hmm. But overall, when you look at the military, that's some of the most diverse uh, forces out there. To And it's a, it's a very diverse candidate pool uh, for organizations to tap into as a, I'll just say kind of like a quick fix, because, you know, I serve with Muslims, Christians, Hindu, I serve with uh, African Americans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, you know, I mean, and, and the Marine Corps is a small branch. There's, I don't know, like 180,000 Marines. And yes, we have a predominantly white male demographic like most of America does. But we have a lot of diversity built in there, and, and other branches do as well. And, and I think I agree with you very much that the, that veteran pool is a, kind of an untapped resource. So thank you for putting an emphasis on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when, when you're working with an organization that is looking to get a diversity and inclusion program up and running, um, like where do you start? Hmm. Great question. So, you know, we like to start by understanding the organization. So we, one of the things that, that we find that a lot of um, consultants, right, make the mistake of is, is thinking that there's a one-size-fits-all solution for a company. But at the diversity movement, what we make sure that, that we're doing first is really understanding how the organization works what the sentiments are of the employees of the organization. So we become part of the organization and really taking time to learn as much as we can about the organization, the people in the organization, what the structures are that are in place for recruiting, for promotion, for performance review. We look at policies, we look at marketing. So we look at the company as a whole and then we make a custom recommendation and a, and a stared approach to how we want to address some of the, the things that we're seeing and create a, a DEI strategy and practice that can be, um, you know, really transformational to an organization. But really, we, we want to start by understanding the company. Um, and, and that's a step that I think a lot of practitioners and and consultants will skip or not spend the right amount of time in because you've got to become kind of part of that organization to understand what it needs. Um, And another thing, Earl, is, you know, very often, you know, you want to have people in place. There's a lot of people right now hanging a shingle that say that they're diversity consultants because they've taken a class somewhere or whatever. But, you know, just like you you would want a qualified doctor to diagnose you for a health issue, you want to make sure that you're hiring qualified um, consultants and experts in the field to be able to diagnose your your the culture of your organization and make recommendations there as well. 
Yeah, no, I think that is a, a critical piece too, right? Is is so um, my my good friend who helped me kind of found the leadership phalanx. He's kind of uh, moved on to a couple uh, things. Hopefully, he'll be rejoining the group here uh, uh, very soon. But you know, he's got a he, he's a certified diversity executive uh, as well, and, and those credentials are are very important. And like you said, a lot of companies they and I'm I'm curious to see what your experiences are with this, but in our experiences. A lot of companies, when they say, hey, we're going to start a diversity inclusion program, it's basically like, hey, okay, so who do we have on the staff right now that wants to do it? And that's not always the best person just because they want to do it, right? That's right. I, You know, that's, that's so true. And what we found, you know, especially over the past year and a half with everything that's occurred, a lot of organizations were unprepared, right, for these conversations and then say, okay, we need a, you know, a, a diversity lead in our organization and often pick the culturally diverse person who's passionate about it in, in HR, right? But that don't have necessarily the qualifications um, to be able to lead that practice yet. And so, and, and then their success is, is moderate or, or less than that. And then they get frustrated and say, you know, this this really isn't working. When in fact, you know, just like with with any major initiative, you've got to make that investment of time and investment of resources to make sure that it's done right. Because you can actually, you know, d- create damage in, in the culture of your organization if you're not taking proper steps. Um, and and the steps really are just to understand what the culture is and, and really get a, a clear perspective and then start communicating what the intention is, what the goals are, uh, and, and understand that from the top down, there needs to be a level of vulnerability, a level of, you know, we tried this that didn't work exactly the way we wanted, or I, you know, made a mistake in my language, you know, we made a misstep, this is how we're going to fix it. Right, but it's an ongoing journey um, that starts again with assessment and communication. Um, and I think if you start there, you're going to be, you know, on good footing to to create a, a practice that's valuable. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that as well. I mean, it's like you know, especially the damage piece because I think that's a lot of what is holding back some diversity and inclusion programs and and more diversity and inclusion advancement right now. And and feel free to disagree with me on this, but um, you know, I remember going through some of the first classes uh, of, of diversity and inclusion in the Marines in, in the mid to late 90s, and a lot of them were geared towards if you're white and you're male, you're the problem. And that shut down a lot of people to listening. And, and a lot of folks like us, we have to – that's one of the first hurdles we really have to overcome is this is not about blame. This is about improvement, right? Absolutely. Earl, you're so right. And, you know, the, the thing about it is instead of that's that's one of the problems as you're thinking about, um, you know, conversations around bias, conversations around privilege. You know, it's you know, it's one, you know, there's there's someone who's bad and someone who's creating the issue when, in fact, a lot of the issues that exist, you know, are systemic right it's not it's not around um you know individuals that are are doing things that are negative it's about empowering those folks to say hey you can be a top flight ally you can be an advocate and stand in the rooms and and you know and as a white male say you know what jackie um you know what do you have to contribute to this conversation? What are your thoughts? So something as simple as that. So instead of placing blame, we want to empower people who have levels of privilege, who have the opportunity to to lead and and create opportunities for uh, inclusion, create opportunities to create more welcoming environments, more um you know, environments where, where people feel safe, feel valued, you know, we want to empower them for that and not criticize. Um, you're, you're hundred percent right. That's an easy way to shut 
down progress. Because, you know, especially in the workplace, it's still dominated by white men, right? And and white men who are in positions to, you know, uh, create opportunities for um, progress in your DEI initiatives, the, the ones that are signing the checks, right, that, <laughs> that pay the consultants and, and get these, these practices up and running. Um, and you don't want to offend people. You want to empower people. And that's so important uh, in how you're messaging because you're going to create shutdown. You're going to create people that get defensive. And that's not what you want to do because that's exclusional, right? You want to make sure that everyone feels part of the solution, part of the progress. And, and that's every single person. Every single person has levels of diversity. And, you know, just like you talked about with being a veteran, you know, or if you, the, the, your personality, the way that you think about things, your personal experiences, you've got so much to contribute and different ways to think about things, different ways to solve problems, different ways to, you know, be creative and no matter who you are. So inclusion includes everyone. And, you know, that's such an important part of the conversation. You don't want to alienate people who can be incredible allies and advocates in this process. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, I've been extremely fortunate in my life to have uh, people who were, I'll call them mentors because that's exactly what they were in the moment. Uh, You know, I've shared this story on here before talking to some other folks about diversity inclusion, but I had a real I guess you could say inflection point in my military career in boot camp. You know, as I mentioned, I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. My hometown was a small town in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, I was one of the darkest people in my town. And if you could see me, I'm not that dark. Um, but I get to boot camp and I'm, I'm, it's, it's this immersion of different cultures, right? And I remember uh, we would do these things called field days where we had to clean the barracks. And I'm just going around just, you know, cleaning. And I started whistling Dixie. And, you know, that's what we did where I'm from. And uh, I had one of the, the fellow recruits uh, kind of confront me about that a little bit, if you will. But he did it in a great way. And, and uh, he was an African-American recruit. And he was from uh, up north. And he said, you know, when I hear that song, this is how it makes me feel. Mm. And I had a point, you know, right there, right, where I could be. And it was such a great interaction because I had a point where I could have been like, well, yeah, so what? And he had a point where he could have just dismissed me as, you know, judgmental, racist or whatever. But we had that conversation and I understood his point of view and he understood where I was coming from. And it was great. But if that had been handled any different, it could have had a huge impact on both of our lives. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that what he expressed was this is how it makes me feel, because I believe that innately People don't want to hurt other people, right? And in general, that's, we're not looking to offend people. We're not looking to hurt feelings. Um, But some of the things that that we do, and Earl, you know, as you said, some of the things that we grew up with, we think about our our language, right? And and speaking inclusively versus non-inclusively. And just giving a quick example is like gendered language. You know, if, if you're saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen in a room and there's non-binary people, there's a potential opportunity to offend there, right? And so, but it's not personal. We don't mean to be offensive. So having that conversation is so important. And, and understanding that first, come from a, a position to to educate and to share and to be vulnerable yourself. And it, 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 it allows someone else to be vulnerable with you. So he was vulnerable and saying, look, Earl, you know, this is how this makes me feel. Then it gave you the, the, you know, if made you feel empowered. And I love that word, but empowered to also be vulnerable and say, you know what? I care about your feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings versus, you know, taking a, a, a different, tone with you know you're you must be a racist right um and it allows you to step back and and say 
hmm, you know, let me think about this. I don't want to offend this person. And so having those conversations and allowing yourself to be vulnerable uh, is so important in creating those bridges that allows people to connect with each other. Oh, definitely. And you, you just hit on another one. It's been a big one for me is, you know, uh, I grew up, I would always, you know, w- use words like folks or, or y'all, right? And I got told, well, you need to be more formal. You need to use, you know, ladies and gentlemen, let the crowd know that, that you are, uh, you know, you're a professional. Don't use y'all. Don't use impersonal. And then fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years later, and, and it's, it's the opposite. And that's one I, I struggle with to this day is, you know, I know better. And, and I think that's kind of key to what we're talking about here. I know better, but I'm human. I'm still going to screw up every once in a while. Uh, I try. And I think that's the important part, right? As, as you mentioned before, we all have these biases. We all have these things. But what is important is we find out what they are. We try to come to grips with them. We know about it. and We try to be better, right? Absolutely, Earl. And, you know, it's it's so important to understand that we're all on a journey, right? We're not going to always get it right. And even those of us that, that are, you know, doing this work every day, we still sometimes say things that are not inclusive or, you know, say things in a way that might offend someone. It's really a matter of just acknowledging it, addressing it, apologizing for it, and then moving on, right? And, and we have to just keep practicing. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, I refer to it as a practice. It is a daily practice. And, you know, we just want to keep progressing, learning, trying, connecting, you know, that's the goal, but we never get to a destination. There's always more to learn. There's always, you know, more people that, that we can be advocating for. And it's just, it's a process and a practice. And it's so important to just commit to the journey and, and move at your pace, right? Learn at your pace, but, uh, but keep moving forward. No, I, I agree. So hopefully some folks are, are listening here and they've, they've taken a lot from the conversation we've had so far, but you and I both know that there's probably some folks who are listening. It's like Earl, Jackie, man, this stuff that you've been talking about here for, you know, the last 35 minutes or so, this is just some touchy feely, fuzzy wuzzy type stuff. Why should this really matter to me? Uh, by the numbers, explain to me by the numbers, why diversity and inclusion should be important to me and my organization. Can you do that? Absolutely. And, you know, Earl, this is such an important part of the conversation. And funny enough, I just left um, a meeting. I was training some certified diversity executives and and this question was asked. And, you know, there there are some people who understand from a human perspective why this matters, because they want to make sure that people feel valued and appreciated and respected. And then there's, but it's work, right? It's it's hard to change your language. And by the way, y'all is so inclusive, or I'll keep using that. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, you want to think about like, what's in it for me, right? That's the question that we have to answer all the time in this work, because it's, the work is hard, right? The work is uncomfortable sometimes, right? It, it it requires growth. It requires changing the perspectives that we've held for a very long time. And so if you're thinking about it by the numbers, um, you know, one of the statistics that I love to use is companies that leverage diversity, equity, and inclusion well generate 19% more revenue through innovation. And you know, if you think about 19% to any organization, that allows for, you know, promotions. It allows you to hire your game changer, right? That next person who's going to really move your your business forward. It allows for new lines of business. 19% is pretty significant. And another thing that I, I like to remind people is, you know, people that are happy at work, are about an hour more productive in a day. So that hour that they're spending, you know, feeling offended by someone in the workplace or they didn't get a chance to speak, 
in a meeting or someone said something that that offended them might not have meant it right but you know they're thinking about that that thing right rather than being productive in what they're doing but happy employees are i mean that is significant if you're thinking about an hour more a day per happy employee right and and that generates you know significant profitability for an organization because you're getting more pro, you're getting more pro, um, production from the employees with with no more overhead and so if you're thinking about you know just what that means in the workplace for you know an organization that um you know, is small, that that can literally be the difference between that next employee, that significant marketing spend. For larger organizations, that can be an entire new product, an entire new line of business that, that you're able to accomplish that really changes the game for your whole organization because you're caring about making sure that your employees feel safe feel valued, feel empowered. Mm, no, that is powerful. And when you look at, you know, kind of everybody right now is paying attention to this 70% disengagement uh, number that's out there, right? But with everything you just said, you know, that is one of the key factors as to why employees are disengaged in the workplace, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, there are a lot of things um, that are contributing to the way employees are feeling about their organizations or the potential organizations, the organizations they want to work for. And, you know, there have to be conversations, right? You, you want to understand what's working in your organization. And you also, and, and this part's hard and it's uncomfortable, but you also want to understand what's not working. Because if you can address that, right, you've got a better shot of retaining those employees. And Earl, I'll tell you, retention of employees is so expensive. If, if you're having to, that turnover is so expensive. So if you're not retaining employees and then you've got to, you know, go through advertising a new job, training, the lost productivity, it's so expensive, right? It's, it's two and a half to four times that person's salary to replace them because you're thinking about not only hiring a new person but just writing the job description posting that the time that it takes to interview who all is in the interview lost productivity time to train that new person up right and and it's so expensive you want to keep your your good employees and the way that you do that is to create cultures where they feel good every single day and, and those cultures are, you know, produced through conversations that you're having uh, with, with your employees. You know, what, what do you need? You know, questions simp- as simple as that. And it might be, as we talked about earlier, more support in, in the mental health lane. It could be more flexible, um, you know, work schedules. It could be a lot of things, but you won't know unless you ask. Mm. No, I love that. And, and, and you're right. And I think that's, again, another lesson that a lot of organizations are learning right now, thanks to the pandemic. Um, you know, again, you mentioned work schedules, people working from home. It's been a blessing to some folks. It's been an absolute nightmare for others. And, and how do you bridge that gap so you get the most productivity out of both sets of people? Mm-hmm. Uh and, and so, yeah, so I love it. And, and, and what I love about, you know, everything we've been talking about here with the past few minutes, because that's exactly, you know, I say a little bit more, I guess you could say blunt, but when I'm talking to folks, I said, look, I'm not into diversity and inclusion for the sake of diversity and inclusion. I'm into diversity and inclusion for the sake of success. And these are what successful organizations do, no matter what. I mean, you know, I, I challenged uh, one group that kept pushing back. I said, pick a, pick an activity, any activity. And, the more diversity in that activity, the more successful the person is. And had somebody raise their hand and say, well, how about bowling? Bowling's a one-person sport, and, you know, you just roll a ball down a lane. There's different oil patterns on the lanes. There's different balls with different finishes to, to accommodate those oil patterns. And and even a novice bowler has usually has 
uh, their, their main ball and in one ball they roll for spares. So we, we know that diversity is important in just about every aspect of our lives. I always find it kind of funny that we have to justify it so much in the workplace, right? That's right. That's right. You know, Earl, the, the thing about it is, you know, it's important that we continue to reevaluate how we're doing business. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I like to talk about a lot with regard to diversity and inclusion is our society is becoming more and more diverse and we're going to be more culturally diverse than not here in the next 20 years. And so how are you messaging a, a more diverse um, client base or customer base? How are you leading your more diverse employees? How are you selling to more diverse executives? And you've got to think about that as it pertains to your business. And one of the examples that I like to use a lot is Blockbuster. You know, the world was, you know, back in the 90s, right? And and I'm dating myself a little bit here, but you know, we spent every Friday night at the at the Blockbuster video getting our popcorn and our two new releases, right? And <laughs> and watching these movies but what was happening was this streaming thing was becoming a thing right whether it was you know our our ipods back in the day right or you know and and then movies and so blockbuster laughed netflix out of a boardroom and what happened our world changed society changed and they weren't going to the video store renting movies. They were downloading them and streaming them. And so as a business, no matter what the business, because we're continuing to evolve as a society and change as a society, right? There's changes in, in culture, changes in age demographic. There are lots of changes, age changes in, in how we work, how we live our lives, what our habits are. If you're not keeping up with that, your your company is is going to, you know, go by the wayside. You're not going to be able to keep up with, you know, the new people that that you're selling to, the new people that you're leading. And um, you know, I use that example a lot, but it's it's such a good one. And you know, no CEO, no, you know, founder wants their company to you know, become, you know, old news because they're not keeping up with the changes in society. And that's one of the major reasons why diversity, equity, and inclusion matters. No, I love that story. I mean, because, uh, you know, I've heard that a few times and basically Blockbuster was saying, hey, or excuse me, Netflix was saying, hey, we're the asteroid that's going to take you out, but we don't really want to. Mm hmm. And I think that's what's going on right now with diversity and inclusion, where we're getting that right. Hey, this is the this is the asteroid. We're coming. We're, we're changing. We don't want to take you out, but if you don't pay attention, you're going to be a dinosaur. That's right. Uh, so I, I love that analogy there. Well, Jackie, uh, we're sitting here about forty five minutes or so, and I really appreciate everything we've uh, been able to discuss over this time. Um, is there anything we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave listeners with before we close out? Earl, I don't think so. The only thing that I would say is, you know, understand what advantages you have uh, as part of your identity and who you are and understand and take time to learn how to be an ally and an advocate for people who don't have those same advantages. You know, try to do what you can to bridge the gap and create more connections. Uh, that's the only thing that I would I would add, Earl. No, I love that. I love that. So again, hopefully, listeners have have kind of bought in. They're they're wanting to make uh, some of these changes in their organization, or maybe they're already in the process and, and they want to learn a little bit more, make better uh, choices, make better improvements as they get their DNI program kind of ramped up. Uh, how can they find out more about Jackie Ferguson? How can they find out more about the diversity movement? And if they want to have you all come in and work with them, uh, how can they make that happen? Absolutely. So one, you can go to the diversity movement.com. Um, you can message us there. You can connect with me on LinkedIn at the Jackie Ferguson. 
and I'll look forward to connecting with you, answering your questions there. Uh, and then another thing is, you know, I've got a podcast as well. It's called Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. So if you're just looking to, you know, augment your personal learning, um, I talk to a, a lot of amazing leaders, you know, game changers, glass ceiling breakers um, that, that give different perspectives. And so if you're looking for a little bit of education and, and just to broaden your perspectives, um, check out the podcast. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to give you a, a plug on that, but uh, we'll make sure that all those uh, links get in the show notes. Definitely check out Jackie's podcast. I've had uh, the ability to listen to a few of those episodes and you got some really great guests on there. Uh, yeah, no. Well, thank you very much for being a guest and spending the last 45 minutes or so with myself and my listeners. I, I've really enjoyed it. Earl, I have too. Thank you so much. All right. Well, uh, listeners, Thank you for being with us for this past uh, bit of time here. We really appreciate you. You're why we do what we're doing. Uh, make sure you go check out Jackie's podcast and do the things you do for this show. Rate, review, subscribe, share. Um, do all of those things for her like you did, like it's my show. That's my uh, uh, that's my mission for you right now. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you can reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Thank you all very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.